If you use the uh, Bible app on your mobile device, um, we have an event on there today. We do this every Sunday. It has the scripture for today and a handful of maybe notes that we think should be takeaways from today's uh, message. So if you use the Bible app and you want to open the event, we're going to be right there this morning. Um, this morning we're in, the, uh, in part four of a series, in a teaching series. And if you've missed any of the first three parts of this series, um, not to worry. I'm going to re-preach those before I get to, point to part four. I'm going to do it right now. You ready? Okay, I'm going to nearly, those of you are like, if you've heard, if you've been here for all three, then you get to go get a coffee right now. So, um, anyway, um, we've been talking about grace in the context of relationships. We've been working at making this connection between our relationships and the grace of God that we've experienced in our lives. But we said that some of the first lessons that we learn when it comes to relationships can pretty much be boiled down to two things. That number one, the good guys win and the bad guys lose. And number two, everybody should get what's coming to them. Those are the lessons that we kind of default to and we learn these early on. And consequently, you and I come into life and especially into adolescence and into adulthood with essentially a toolbox full of tools that have been handed down to us that we use in our relationships. And we think that basically we only need four things. We only need four tools in that toolbox. And if we get these four tools down and we learn how to use them with precision and skill, then basically we can get what we want out of relationships. Even in relationships that are supposed to be loving relationships, these tools become important to us because after all, good guys should win, bad guys should lose, and everybody should get what's coming to them. So the four tools that we tend to lean heavily into are these. They are convince, convict, coerce, and control. That if we can learn how to convince people that we're right, if we can learn how to convict people and make them feel guilty or less than, if we can learn how to coerce people through circumstances, and overall, if we can just learn how to control people, then we've fallen for the lie that we'll be successful in our relationships. So what happens is we kind of subconsciously move into every relationship trying to convince people and convict people and coerce people and control people because, after all, we know that good guys should win and bad guys should lose and everybody should get what's coming to them. But then Jesus comes along, as he often does. And in this case, he offers us a better toolbox. And that's what we're talking about today. Replacing the old relationship tools in the toolbox with some better tools so that we can have a better relationship toolbox. So he comes along and he messes up the whole thing. And, and this is just so you know, if you open yourself up to him, he will do this every time. He will take those familiar ways of approaching life and he'll flip it on its head and inside out. So just be ready for that, okay? He says things like, you've heard it said, and I love it when Jesus says you've heard it said, because he's got something contrarian about to come at you. You've heard it said, love your friends and hate your enemies. In other words, this is normal, this is okay, this is an acceptable standard to you, this is, you've accepted this as okay, but I'm saying to you what? Love your enemies. You're like, man, I have a hard enough time loving my friends. Really, Jesus? So what Jesus has to say about relationship is so opposite from everything that we kind of naturally fall into or that we learn. And, and at the same time, what he had to say about relationships was so much a part of his agenda for the world and for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers and for all of us, for all of us, we're going to have to reevaluate the way that we do relationships. So a couple weeks ago we said that his agenda... And if you're, just, if you're wondering, Jesus does have an agenda. 
He has an agenda for each of us. And it is that we would extend, in the world that we live in, that we would extend the same grace that he is constantly extending to us. That's his agenda. So he asked the question, what would happen in a community like ours if a couple hundred people or so in a church like ours, if in their personal relationships decided to set aside the old toolbox and, and once and for all commit to learning to love and embrace their enemies? What would that look like? So we looked at some words uh, from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 where he says, we were dead in our transgressions and sins and we just, we just kind of messed up and we hurt people and we thought we were better than somebody else and all this stuff, but then God shows up. In fact, it says, but God, <laughs> God stepped in and he saved us. And it really, and if that whole truth got right here, it would revolutionize our love for other people. And then and we said that at the cross, we lose our right not to love people who don't love us. That, I think that alone, if that truth got into our hearts at a, at a heart level, it would change the way we approach people. So then last time, when we finally got around to talking about what we find in Jesus' relational toolbox, some tools to replace those old familiar tools that we've uh, fallen into and, and we just go to over and over, convince, convict, coerce, and control. We said instead, in Jesus' toolbox, we find service, submission, and sacrifice. We read some familiar verses from Philippians chapter 2 and then some from Genesis chapter 1. We said that the people that you encounter every day are God's artwork. So what if we treated them in spite of their character, in spite of their behavior, what if we treated them in light of the hands that created them? That's where we've been. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. And before we go any further, let's stop right now and just and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for each one who's here. We believe you brought us here together for a purpose. So God, we want to be open to your Holy Spirit, to be open to the truth of your word in our lives. And we want to come together as a church, as fellow believers, to just glorify your name and everything that we say and do and think in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about restoration. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. We've, we've all said it a thousand times probably. If you've been around church for very long, you've heard it said or you've said, hate the sin, love the... It's a great bumper sticker, by the way, if you're into that kind of stuff. I've found this to be pretty easy. As long as I don't really know the sinner. Okay? And as long as their sin hasn't touched my life. So as long as I don't know them, and as long as uh, their sin hasn't affected me, I can hate the sin and love the sinner, no problem. But what do you do when you're in relationship with somebody? What do you do when someone you're related to? What do you do when someone that you had high expectations for what do you do when they sin? What do you do when they fall off the wagon? What do you do when they get into a lifestyle that touches your life, that influences your life, that, listen, costs you something, costs you money, costs you time, costs you reputation. It costs you something. What do you do? Do you know what you do? You do what I do. Because we feel like we have to do something. All right? We have to convict somebody of something. Or we have to point out something to somebody. We have to punish them somehow. 
Because, I mean, after all, if we don't do something, then they'll just think that everything's okay. So we've got to make sure they know. We can't act like nothing's happened. And we consequently, you know, we've got to say something because, you know, if he forgets or if she doesn't know or they might think everything's okay, we just feel like, you know, he needs to know. She needs to know. And, and she needs to know over and over and over and over. And you just need to keep picking at that and reminding her of that until he apologizes, until she apologizes, until they change their behavior. We think that if we don't confront them, then this will just go on and on and we've got to do something. Besides that, if we can just, you know, if we just like bring him into our house, like bring her into my house and love them and accept them and all that, then they're going to think that we're accepting their sin. And, and they need to know that something's wrong here. And they, they need to, here's, the, here's where we're really, what we're really saying, they need to suffer a little bit. I know that was like this awkward laughter because it's true. Think about it. This is what we want. We want them to suffer. We want them to just feel a little bit of discomfort. So it'd be wrong for us to just, you know, take them in and act like nothing's wrong. It's easy to love sinners and hate the sin when we don't know them and their sin doesn't touch us. But when there's a relationship, when it's going to cost us something, sometimes this whole thing gets a little bit fuzzy. So how do you love this kind of sinner and hate that kind of sin when it's not separated, it's not disconnected. It's part of your life. When somebody close to us makes a lifestyle decision that we consider a bad decision, when somebody close to us makes a lifestyle decision that we consider, we, the way we read the Bible, it's a sinful decision and it's a sinful direction, we're always flooded with emotion in that. And it's not an emotionally neutral environment. We feel disappointment. We feel frustration, we feel grief, we feel sorrow, we feel all sorts of things. And in most cases, especially, you know, if you're a Christian and you've been around church much, our tendency is to reach out and grab a verse. We get really into our Bible about this time. And we learn how to use the search button. And we grab a commandment, or we grab a standard, or somehow to bring that into conversation. If you're a parent, you probably reach back and grab that thing that you always told your kids. Don't you remember? If you're a child and it's your parent who's messed up, you reach back and you grab that thing that they told you when they were bringing you up, and you're like, hey, don't you remember, hypocrite? Don't you remember? Whatever the situation is, whenever someone in our life falls into sin, chooses a lifestyle we disagree with, it's not an emotionally neutral thing. It's very emotional. And our tendency in our emotion is to take hold of God's word and to take hold of a standard and to present it in such a way that we are really saying, change, 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 change. Don't you remember? Don't you know what's wrong with you? Or if it's a very painful situation, you may find yourself wanting to kind of pretend that it didn't happen. Because when it's somebody we're related to, when it's somebody we're close to, when their sin touches our lives, it seems like it's impossible then to sort out how do you love the sin and hate the sinner. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> How do you love the sinner and hate the sin? Great news is God's word addresses that very tension. This is one thing I love about the Bible when you really make it a part of your life and it's your go-to truth. Um, there's very little in our lives that it doesn't address. And uh, so we're going to look at this passage of scripture this morning um, that you've, you may have read this before. If you've if you've kind of been in that discipline of reading through Scripture, kind of as a, maybe a reading plan or something like that, it, but it may not be a passage you've gone to many times. So it's not super familiar. 
The Apostle Paul um, answers this question. What do you do when somebody you love, what do you do when somebody you're close to chooses a lifestyle that you consider sinful, chooses a lifestyle that hurts you financially, that chooses a lifestyle that hurts you relationally, hurts your reputation, a whole list of other things? What do you do in that situation? So before we turn to it, and we're going to put it on the screen, I want to give you a heads up about this passage. Because the Apostle Paul, in a very subtle, subtle way, addresses something that we forget to address when it's us in one of these situations. Because what he knew, what we all really know, when the situation's over and done with, is that when somebody that we love and somebody we're in relationship with goes into some sort of sin and hurts us, it triggers something inside of us. That if we're not aware of it, it triggers something inside of us that if we don't like do something about this thing, we're going to have a tendency to respond and react to them in such a way that does more harm than good. You ever experienced that? You ever been the source of more harm than good? I mean, yeah. Well-intentioned? Yeah. So in our desire to help them, in our desire to respond to them appropriately, without ever meaning to, we have the potential to push them further away, to push them further into their sin, to come out of a conversation thinking, wow, I showed them, wow, I had some verses for them, I told them I stood for right, I stood for righteousness, and I represented God to them. But the net effect of the whole thing is that no one's been helped and they're pushed maybe further away, and nothing's reconciled, and nothing's restored, and nothing's changed. So in this passage of Scripture, Paul very subtly says this. He says, look, when somebody finds themselves in this kind of situation, when somebody you love goes into some sort of sin that hurts you, that costs you something, he says, watch yourself, because you have the potential to make things worse. So if you have your Bible, I want to look at at Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to start to read here in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. Look, it says if someone's caught in a sin. When he says caught in a sin, doesn't mean you walk into a room and catch them in sin. It's not like, aha, caught you. It's not a caught in the act kind of thing. The word caught here means entangled or ensnared. In fact, your Bible might actually say caught up in a sin. So he says, those of you who live by the Spirit, and when he says live by the Spirit, he's, you're like, oh, that's not me, good, I'm off the, I don't know, you know what that means, that must be like the spiritual elite, like the people who sing on the worship team, you know? He's, no, he's talking, about, he's talking about the believer who is committed to living a Spirit-filled Christ follower kind of life. He's talking about us, he's talking about the average Christian who's just moving along trying to live a life that's pleasing to God. So he's not talking about an elitist kind of spirituality. He's saying, hey, when someone that you know someone that you're in relationship with, goes off and is caught up in some sort of sin, then you, those of you who are not caught up in that sin, are to go to that person, and look at the key word, and restore them. Not ignore them, not deny that it's there, not stand back at a distance, not judge them, not punish them. I can promise you, if you're in a relationship with a person, it would be most of us, I hope, If you're in a relationship with someone, whether it's at work, a relationship with a a friend, a family relationship, and someone in those relationships in that context has chosen a lifestyle or made choices that have hurt you, I promise you, you've had an emotion somewhere along the line that made you either want to stand back and judge them, maybe made you want to walk away and ignore the situation, or maybe made you want to get involved and punish them. Do you know why? 
Because when someone that you have any kind of relationship with falls into sin, it's not an emotionally neutral environment. And it surfaces in us something that we don't even like to admit is inside of us. And so he adds this little adverb that I left out on purpose when I read this verse a second ago. He says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Why do you suppose he adds the word gently? I think it's because he knows us. He knows our nature. And he has to remind us. Because if he doesn't remind us, our tendency is to say, aha, I'm right, you're wrong, I have the upper hand, I have the advantage, you have the disadvantage, you are at you know, my mercy, because now it's God and me against you. I am clearly right, me and God are like over here, and you're over there all by yourself, so it's like me and the Old Testament and the New Testament and some more Old Testament, and me and God over here, and you're way over there. We've all had those conversations, and Paul knows this tendency in us, so he reminds us that the agenda is not punish, ignore, deny, or judge. The agenda is restore. And because of our nature, and because of the emotion involved in our relationships, we've got to put the brakes on sometimes, and we've got to do this gently. And to do it gently, you've got to do it humbly. Do you know why? Because one of the things that you feel when somebody in a family or somebody uh, you're close to betrays you doesn't fulfill their end of the deal, doesn't follow through, does something that's already, you've already agreed is off limits, whatever it is, you're going to feel an element of anger. And let me tell you, you know, do you know why you're angry? You're angry because they're not doing what you think they ought to be doing. They're not doing what you raised them to do. They're not doing what you thought they would do in this situation. They're not doing what you told them to do if you were in that situation. They're not doing what you all agreed was the right thing to do. They're just not acting right, and it ticks you off. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you've spent much time around church, I know know what you say. Because I'm a churchy person too. So, so we lean into something like, oh, no, no, I'm not angry. I'm not angry at them because they're not doing what I want them to do. I'm, I'm upset because they're not doing what God wants them to do. Please. Do you know how I know this isn't true for most of us in the heat of the moment? And, and I don't know, you may be. I, I, you probably are the most spiritual, righteous person in the whole world. But here's how, I, here's how I know that's not, this is not true of us. Because look at the anger that surfaces in you when somebody else sins versus the anger that surfaces in you when you sin. Right? Isn't it a whole lot easier? And aren't we a whole lot more likely to get a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of self-righteous thing going on when it's somebody else who sinned against you. Well, clearly they're wrong. <laughs> this is why the Apostle Paul says when somebody you're in a relationship with, when they sin, when they get caught up in a sin, when they're entangled in a sin that has become a part of their life, the goal is restoration. And he's talking about restoring people into a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. That's, that's what's most important. That's the goal. That's the destination. So we've got to go in gently. Uh, and he goes on. We're still in verse 1. You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourselves, 
watch myself. No, 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 no. This is about that guy, that person, that it's about her. What do I need to watch myself for? I think Paul's like doesn't understand what the target is here. Because it's like me and God and the Holy Spirit, and we're on one side of the equation, and like I'm helping the Holy Spirit with a conviction thing. It's the other person who needs to watch himself. Paul says, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And the word watch here means examine. So again, in his typical way, he tends to turn the focus on us. And this kind of bothers us because this, you know, you know, we want to lean into this son of mine is clearly wrong. This wife of mine is clearly wrong. This employer of mine is definitely wrong. This friend of mine is in the wrong. This, this ex-husband of mine, this ex-wife, clearly wrong. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look out. Because the goal is restoration. Restoration in a relationship with, his, with their heavenly father. And if you don't move in gently, and if you don't move in humbly, and if you don't move in examining yourself, you'll judge, you'll ignore, you'll punish, you'll quote scripture, and listen, you'll be right, but you won't restore. And if we don't restore, then we've fallen short, we've failed. And what exactly is he talking about when he says examine yourself or you follow the same temptation? Um, a long time ago I used to read this and I used to think that meant that you'd fall into the same temptation. You know, I got this friend, and he's over here, and he's an alcoholic, and so I try to help this alcoholic friend, and he offers me a drink, and I take a drink, and now all of a sudden I'm an alcoholic, and I fall into the same sin. That's not what he's talking about, okay? Here's what he's saying. That when you are hurt by somebody close to you, when they fall into a sin, when they are caught up in a sin, that it's got a grip on them, this always surfaces all kinds of ugly scum that's in your soul. It surfaces the part of you that you generally don't show to anybody and you generally maybe don't even know it's there. It surfaces in you stuff that you're surprised when it comes to the surface. It always brings to the surface, always brings pride. That's where it starts. And pride sounds like this. I can't believe you would. I can't believe you would treat your dad this way. I can't believe you would put me and our friendship at risk that way. I can't believe you would be so insensitive to me or to him or to her. I can't believe how you would hurt me this way. I can't believe how you were treating me. I can't believe how you would. And again, Paul's like, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. You've got to watch yourself. Because when you're hurt, even when they're wrong, it's going to surface something ugly in you. When you act on pride, you fall to temptation. You know what else it surfaces? It surfaces all sorts of insecurities. What are people going to say? What are people going to think? I've worked so hard to maintain this image. What are they going to think? I've been working on my reputation. What are they going to think? What are people going to say when they find out my daughter? What are they going to find out? You know, are they going to say when they find out my husband? What are, they going to, what are people going to say when they find out you know, my friend? What are people going to think and what are people going to say? And what surfaces in us is a whole bunch of insecurities that we didn't even know were there. And the Apostle Paul says, you better watch yourself. Because if you respond, listen, from insecurity, you will fall to temptation. Oh, and then it surfaces fear. What's going to happen now? What's going to happen now that they found out? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? 
Do you realize what you've done to me? Now what's going to happen? And Paul says, we kind of got to gear down here because if you respond to your fear, you'll fall to the same temptation. You may even be in the right. You may have been hurt. The other person may have clearly been the one that was caught up in sin. But before you go charging in, before your very first conversation, remember the goal is restoration. Restoring them, first of all, in in a relationship with their Heavenly Father. The goal is not punishment. The goal is not desertion. The goal is not to ignore it. The goal is not to deny it. The goal is not to judge it. And the goal is not to punish it. The goal is restoration. And if you haven't dealt with what it has surfaced in you, you might judge, you might punish, you might ignore, you might abandon, but you won't get anywhere when it comes to this process of restoration. Because as long as I'm responding out of my anger and my pride and my insecurity and my fear, I'll only do more damage than good. And it's kind of frustrating because we, uh, we want to be like, wait, 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 here I am, minding my own business, doing my own Christian thing, trying not to follow the temptation, trying to raise my family, trying to do whatever in a way that pleases God. And this other person now that I'm in a relationship has sinned and is all caught up in sin. And now the finger's like pointing at me? Watch myself? What? What is this about? And Paul says, because the goal is restoration. Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, just like the rest of us, it's going to surface something in you. If you're not aware of it, you'll respond out of that. You'll act out of that, you'll speak out of that, and you'll cause more damage than good. So that was one verse. Verse 2. Here's the how-to. He says, carry each other's burdens. This is extremely convicting. Do you know what this means? It means that what we're supposed to do, instead of charging in there with Old Testament and New Testament and the prophets and the apostles and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God on our side, what we're supposed to do, the way we're supposed to restore you, <laughs> you move in to the situation and you take upon yourself the complications and the consequences caused by the other person's sin. You're like, I am so sure that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> like, wait, I got my own life to lead. I got my own family things. I got my own finances. I got my own decisions to make. I got my own, all these demands on my time. And I got my own things to occupy my life. I got my own priorities. And you're telling me this person messes up, chooses sin, complicates my life. And I'm supposed to go in there and say, you know, hey, let me help you. This is why this is so convicting. Look at the rest of this verse. And in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. This is it's kind of unbelievable, and this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, remember. Remember. While you were still a sinner, Jesus didn't punish you. He didn't judge you. He didn't ignore you, and he didn't deny that it was going on. But while you were still a sinner, he got up under the burden, the consequences and the complications of your sin. And before he died, he said, go into the world and love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. So restoration has a chance of happening when I, in my relationships, get up under the consequences and the complications of the sin of the person who has hurt me. And the person who's disappointed me, maybe turned on me, Betrayed me. Abandoned me. You're like, dude, I'm so far away from that. You know why? Because you're just so ticked off. 
I mean, you're so hurt, and I get that. You're so angry because it's dredged up all this anger and insecurity and fear in your life, and here we are dealing with our own tangled web of emotions. No wonder we look at this as something that's impossible to do. No wonder, no wonder we don't take the very first steps. No wonder we can't see straight to get under the consequences and complications of someone else's sin. And this is why Paul says, if you don't deal with the stuff that surfaces in you, then when you respond to this person, you're going to push them away, you're going to push them further into their sin, further away from a restored relationship with their Heavenly Father, and they won't grow, and you won't grow, and it's kind of a big mess. So just to be clear, the target is always restoration. And God's saying to us through the Apostle Paul, I know it's a tangled mess. I know it's kind of complicated. I know it's not all simple and cut and dry and there's not a formula, but let me paint a picture of the bullseye, clear description of the destination. If you want to be where God wants to take you, the goal is a restored relationship with the Heavenly Father. So you're to be the instrument of restoration in that person's life to help restore them to their walk with God. The only way that's going to happen is not by sitting back and throwing scripture darts at them, it's not by holding to a hard line or giving them an ultimatum. The only way it's going to happen is to decide, okay, I'm willing to take on the consequences and the complications caused by their sin. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on, verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. You know what this means? It means that if, if something rises up in us that says, Nah, I'm not going to do that. It makes for great stories and stuff and good books and stuff, but not after what they've done to me. Not happening. Not going to do it. I'm not ready. Then according to this verse, we're guilty of kind of leading our own mind astray because we think we're too good. We think we're somehow too righteous for this. We've forgotten where we come from. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about our story before we even knew our story. Somewhere along the way, we've forgotten what Christ has done for us. Somewhere along the way, we've gotten the idea that now we're sort of the super spiritual, intellectual, above all that elitist. And we'd never get involved in that kind of sin. And Paul says, that's because you're so confused. <laughs> you think you're something that you're not. The thing is, when you read the Gospels, um, it's pretty incredible because this is what Jesus did all the time. And I love when Paul takes Jesus' example and expands on it and explains it and brings it to us in a way that we can apply it. Because Jesus, he just went around restoring people all the time. It's what he did. He said it this way. He said, um, don't worry about the little speck in the other person's eye until you first get rid of the log in your own eye. And that's in Matthew 7. Do you know how we tend to use that as, as Christians? We tend to, to uh, use that as a spiritual way of saying, mind your own business. That's what it's come to mean. But it's not what it means. When you read the passage, Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul is saying. And this is how Jesus says it. It says, when you notice something in another person's eye, chances are it's going to remind you and bring to mind something that's in your own eye. So the goal isn't to ignore what's in their eye. The goal is to address what's in your eye so that you can see clearly to help them get that thing out of their eye. When you see something wrong in another person, you see sin in another person's life, this is the key. He says, examine yourself. First, deal with your issues. 
then you're free to help remove the speck from another person's eye. Because you see, this is how the body of Christ works. I'm responsible for helping to restore you into relationship with your Heavenly Father, and you're responsible for helping to restore me in a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And even in the most painful of circumstances, when somebody else's sin has taken a slice out of my life, and my emotions, and my resources, and my time, even in that situation, you and I are responsible for restoring. And if their sin dredges up pride, and insecurities, and fear in us, then allow God to deal with those things and to reveal them for what they are and to bring freedom in those areas of your life and then move ahead and get under the burden of their sin and work towards restoration. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? How many of you are familiar with the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? Jesus comes up to a well, and here's a woman who is not a repentant person. This is not someone saying, oh, I'm in sin, help me. This is a person who's just living in sin and apparently could care less What's the first thing Jesus does? He knows all about her. He knows everything about her. Does he pull up some command from the law that prohibits something in her behavior and lifestyle? Mm-mm. Would have been easy to do. No, he just says, could I have something to drink? And the woman's like, huh? Like, you don't even have a, anything to draw water with. Wait, are you saying you would drink after me? You know what Jesus did? I mean, here's a sinner. He did a very relational thing. And the end of the story is he restored her. One day he's walking along, there's this guy, and he's collecting taxes. And I mean, you know, you know the context. Tax collectors were among the worst of people. They were traitors to their own people. And, and, and this guy's name is Matthew, and Matthew isn't repentant. He's just collecting taxes. And Jesus doesn't walk by and go, Matthew, shame on you. You're a traitor to your own people. No, he's like, hey, Matthew, uh, would you join me and my guys? As time goes by, he connects with him and he restores him into a relationship with his heavenly father. Another day, he's walking along and there's another one of those scum of the earth tax collectors. This guy's up in a tree. His name's Zacchaeus and he's up in a tree. And Jesus doesn't scold him and judge him and punish him and he doesn't ignore him. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, um, why don't you come down to the tree? Let's go to your house. I got some things I want to talk to you about. And in time, he restores him to his heavenly father. These weren't even repentant people. These are people who were caught up in their sin. They were deeply entangled in it. It was a way of life for them. And Jesus said, let me get up under the burden of the complications and the consequences of your sin because the goal isn't to ignore and it isn't to judge and it isn't to punish. The goal is restoration. And the key to restoration is relationship. Relationship began in those stories with, hey, I'm willing to take upon myself part of your burden. Here's the point. And I know there's got to be something inside of you that's like, well, that, you're, you're simplifying this. this is, you're make, it's not this simple. But all the Apostle Paul is saying and all Jesus is saying and modeled for us is this. The bullseye on the target. The bullseye on the target. The place you've got to allow God to lead you. So that you can accomplish in other people's lives what he wants you to accomplish. The bullseye is to be able to come to the place because you've worked through your anger and you've worked through your insecurity and you've worked through your fear and you've dealt with your pride to be able to look that sinner in the eye and say, how can I help you? Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he look down into this sinful world with a father by his side and said, wow, what a mess. How can I help? 
You know what's amazing? This is a thing for me. Never once in Jesus' ministry did he stop and say, do you know what your sin is costing me? Never once did he say, hey, 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 would you knock off with the sin already? Do you know what your sin is going to cost me? See, when the person you love and someone you care about sins, falls into sin, is caught up in sin, and that sin becomes a lifestyle, there's something that surfaces in you that wants to shout out, do you know what your sin is costing me? And I think our Heavenly Father is saying to each of us this morning, before we go charging in, would you first let me start with you? Because I want you to be a minister of restoration. I got, we, means we've got to go in gently. means we've got to go in only after we've truly examined ourselves. Because your anger is going to get in the way, and your insecurities are going to get in the way, and your pride is going to get in the way, and your fear is going to get in the way. So you've got to, look at, you've got to get to the point where you can walk into that relationship and start that conversation where you can genuinely say, load me up. How can I help you? I want to bring this down to three statements we're going to put on the screen, and here's the whole thing in a nutshell. First thing we've got to do is you've got to commit to the process. We've got to decide as we think about that son, that daughter, that boss, that spouse, that ex-spouse, that parent, that step-parent, that friend, that family member. We've got to decide, okay, I'm willing to acknowledge, first of all, that the target is restoration. I'm going to commit to the process of restoration to see that person restored into relationship with their Heavenly Father. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to punish them anymore. I'm not going to ignore them. I'm not going to deny the situation. My goal is restoration. And maybe you're like, uh, yeah, but like, like in every message of this series so far, you don't understand my pain, Todd. And look, maybe I don't. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you've got to say to God, God, I'm just so angry, and I'm so hurt, and I'm so ticked off, and it's been a while now, but I'm still ticked off, and I'm nowhere near the point of starting a conversation with that person, but God, bring me to the point. I'm committed to the allowing you to do whatever you need to do, listen, in me, so I can love that person, so I can love my enemy, so I can hate the sin and love the sinner, so I can move in gently and help restore them. So first, commit to the process. Second, we've got to examine our own hearts. That is, before we move in to begin restoration, we've got to do what the Apostle Paul says, and we've got to, we've got to say, God, this has raised some pride in me. This has raised some insecurity. This has raised some fear. So before I move in and try to help this person, because I think I know everything, work with me. And then number three is we've got to share the burden. That is, we've got to get up underneath the burden of the complications and the consequences of their sin because that is the means to restoration. And that little phrase, how can I help? It's a healing phrase. It's a healing question. Let me tell you this and we're finished. My experience is this. As complicated as your situation uh, may be or as complicated as a situation coming up, you may be like, this doesn't apply to me. Hold on. Maybe a situation you don't even know about yet. My observation is this. If we will allow God to work through our pride and to work with our insecurities and to work on our fear and all the stuff that's dredged up, if we allow God to do that, it becomes clearer to us 
what our role is in restoring that person to relationship with their Heavenly Father. People come talk to me, they've done this with Dad and me for years, and they come when they're still angry and they're scared and they're like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I say, help me fix this. This is my observation. If you will get alone with God, and this may take a while, by the way. I'm like, what, I prayed Monday morning before work. I was sitting at that red light and I prayed. This may take a while to intentionally spend some time alone with God. But if you'll allow God to work you through your own issues, perhaps with some guidance from an outside voice, then eventually it becomes clear to you what to do to help restore that person. Because restoring another person, the steps to that are pretty clear once you get through the mass and the tangled web of emotions that are kind of brought to the surface in you. Granted, we don't have any control over how the other person responds. But your responsibility and mine is to be a restorer. And a restorer is a person who's examined their own life first. And the old tools of convict, convict, coerce, and control, those things come from an unexamined life. But the examined life, who's willing to take on the burden and the complications and the consequences of someone else's sin, will find themselves serving and submitting and sacrificing for the sake of someone else. The goal is for God to bring each of us to the place where we can, from our heart, authentically say, I see you, I see where you are, I see what's going on in your life. How can I help? I want to play a song. and um, I love the song, and I think, you'll, I think you'll hear the message in it. And it's been a while since I played a Switchfoot song, so uh, listen to this.
looking for the rhyme and reason Are you born? Why you leaving? What you fearing? What you believing? Why you living?